Hello, my name is Aziz, and I'm the son of a divorced mother. She is really my superhero. That's why it's important for me to support women to share their uniqueness, their personalities, perspectives, and emotions about life. Too many women in this world feel alone. They worry about the judgment of others, and they struggle with their mental health. But when they listen... To the Rare Girls podcast, where empowered women share their voices and tell their stories, many women will feel inspired to live a life of freedom and to overcome all insecurities. They will feel it is a safe space to find their confidence, to remember their unique beauty and to feel their self-worth, and they will connect with the sisterhood of rare girls who encourage their success and support their dreams. That's what this podcast is all about. My guest today is Anvita Bhargav. Anvita is an Italian and Indian virologist living and working in Paris, France. Apart from being a scientist, she is also a rocker, a pole dancer, and occasionally a poet. Anvita, how are you today? Hello, Aziz. I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on your, your podcast. It's really, it's an honor. It, it means a lot to me. And I think it means a lot also to the community because this is really um, a very nice initiative on your on your side. So, so yeah, uh, I'm currently in Italy right now, relaxing <laughs> in the, on the seaside for a little bit of vacation. And then, yes, it will be back Back to work, back to Paris. I love that. I appreciate the kind words. Thank you so much for your support. And it makes me very curious as well to ask, a big part of your identity is being a scientist and what is could be considered its opposite, which is rock and roll, pole dance, even poetry, which is full of emotions while science tries to suppress emotions in, on, in order to look only at the facts. How do you combine both and how did did you decide to go in the scientific route while at the same time you had so much desire for the chaos of the rock and roll, etc.? That is a really, really interesting question. And allow me to disagree with you. I don't believe that all of these different activities and passions can be considered opposites because in my case... Science, as well as art and poetry and, and, and dancing, music, they all stem from the same root, which for me is curiosity and creativity. So curiosity can come in different forms. Uh, for To me, at a baseline, it is a thirst, a thirst for knowledge, a thirst for feeling, for experiences, for emotions. And the raw emotions that you describe, yes, they can be found in poetry, but the, the thirst for knowledge and just the yearning to, to learn more about uh, the world and people and life and everything, it can be very well synthesized in uh, the concept of a scientist. And this was something I wanted to be ever since I was a kid, actually, just seeing myself in a lab coat in a laboratory, just discovering how the world works. And you mentioned chaos, which is a really interesting, intriguing word, because it is true that we, um, as a species, we are so limited. I feel human beings should be humbled and should realize that there's so much that we do not know and understand. And it is chaos. And what we can try to do is 
understand how it functions and not have the the arrogance to say we can govern it we can just limit it to straight fact and put it in a box that's not what science being a scientist is about to me so that in that way it comes closer to what being a dancer or a poet is and they they all kind of function on parallel routes to me thank you so if i understood you correctly it all comes as you said from being very curious and actually to understand that life is uncontainable and something that we might discover how it works but we cannot be because of that the gods of the universe or control it or change anything it's more about you almost like being uh, a little girl who is exploring the outside of her house to discover the different parts of the forest everything was out there but it doesn't mean you created it or that you can do something about it you're just discovering oh behind this tree there is a squirrel oh behind this cave there is uh, like a pond or whatever it is is this correct and how does this relate to creativity which is the second part after you spoke about curiosity because i'm curious to know how the you extrapolate that into being creative so yes uh, your interpretation is is quite correct this aspect of uh, just going out there and exploring and discovering that is what i define curiosity that now creativity is the second part of it is taking what you have and what you absorb um from your surroundings and transforming it into something that is perceptible something that you in your unique perspective can create and give back to to others so when it comes to art it's it's quite easy uh, everything stems from curiosity you take the elements you fuse them together you create something uh, when i when i write poetry or when i dance even when i simply listen to music i'm fabricating emotions that are mine that are unique to me in that particular point in time but they can be universalized because everybody feels in one way or the other and it's a form of communication it's a form of creativity now in science creativity can come um, can be linked to the fact that i am also somebody who is very i'm, I'm a virologist um, and after the pandemic of COVID-19, of course, that sparked even more my interest and my curiosity towards this field. And in that case, creativity is uh, put to the service of how can we use this knowledge to improve the conditions of uh, of mankind, of, of healthcare, of the planet, just human beings, animals, whatever. How can we put this knowledge to use? But again, in a very humble and not exploiting way, that's not uh, my way of viewing science, but I am very healthcare oriented. I am all about understanding, in this case, viruses and maybe seeing a way how we can uh, use this for prevention and treatment. So that's where the creative part steps in. I love that. I loved how you said your unique emotions, you're fabricating them in that point in time and you can universalize it. I want to ask more of a psychological question. Nowadays, even because of the pandemic and social isolation, there are many women who spent a lot of time at home, even girls who crossed into university, but they didn't go there. They stayed at home. And therefore, there is a level of anxiety that comes from being sheltered and afraid of the unknown. There is psychologically a thought that the only way to overcome fear is actually curiosity, because if you're curious, you cannot be afraid since curiosity drives you forward onto the unknown. 
Do you agree with this? Or if not, how did you find your confidence in order to be so multidimensional? While some people who might have rigid thoughts, even within the science community, they were like, you're a pole dancer, you're not a real scientist or whatever <laughs> it is that might be. Uh, so tell me a bit more about your perspective on this. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, this is a, a tough question and I'm not a psychologist, so I would, I don't know what would be the right appropriate answer for it, but for sure, it was a very delicate uh, period of time for, for women, especially for young people in general, people who are still in universities and the education system, this level of uncertainty, for sure, it impacted all of us. I did my PhD during the the pandemic. I graduated my PhD during the pandemic and it was it was as though you were living in this kind of parallel universe and you're just being dragged by the situation, by history, by, by things that you really cannot control. And that is enough to send uh, people down into a hopeless state of mind, unfortunately, yes. So on the one hand, it is very important not to lose that curiosity, that drive, that passion, and take something negative and transform it into something powerful. Focus on whatever is the positive. Focus on the fact that we are still okay. And then we will get through this as a community, as a person, as a human being. But of course, on paper, it's easy to say all of this. It's not easy to put it into practice. So from a personal point of view, I was very impacted by the pandemic. And just in a, in a personal uh, headspace of mine, it was not the best uh, time of my life. So on the one hand, you are aware that you can do something to get out of it, but you cannot really do it on your own. So I, that's when strength also lies in the fact that sometimes you need to accept that you need a helping hand to sort these thoughts out. And a helping hand can be community, first of all. And in my case, now this is where the pole dancing part steps in, right? Because that's a community that is so strong. And it was tough, actually, because in Paris, gyms and sports clubs were closed during the pandemic. And I was doing my PhD at the same time. So I didn't have like an external parallel venting route to figure out, you know, to find, to keep my feet on the ground. Yes, the scientific community is very strong, but it was under a lot of pressure at the time, as you can imagine, pressure, international pressure, mediatic pressure, political pressure. So it was the community, but everybody was at the edge of the wire, let's say. That other aspect not being there, it was kind of a little breaking point. And that's where it's good you mentioned psychology, because I had to resort to a therapist. And I, I admit, and I listened to many other wonderful ladies on your podcast mentioning the same thing, accepting that you have to go towards that kind of psychological support is really a, strength, a strong point. And sometimes it is necessary and, and there, there are no regrets in doing that. And it's not really that you need help. You just need help to figure out how to best align and use the tools that you already have. But you're confused, you're overwhelmed, and you don't know how to put them together. So if there's an encouragement or an advice that I could give to people who are struggling or are just simply a bit confused, do not hesitate to, to look for professional help when, when necessary. And keep that curiosity going. If one thing is not working out, how can you put your curiosity to, how can you exploit your curiosity in another direction, in another avenue that gives you the, the positive feedback that you require to say, yes, I can step up and face this today. Thank you for that. I agree with you so much that support and psychological support are essential in people like you mentioned, finding out the elements that they already have and reconfiguring them in the right way so that they're stronger, which makes me think it's actually the whole strategy of you using emotions or science 
Because in science, you discover what exists in order to reintegrate it or connect it together in a new way. You spoke about transformation and venting. So if I understood you correctly, to you, it's both like whatever exists in that moment, it could be something that inspires you like a piece of music that gives you an individual uh, kind of emotion, which is you transform the experience into that emotion, or you had some negative emotions that you are venting. And then in, you create the, those into a universal uh, experience that other people who can feel can feel with you and share with you as well. Is this like the process where you take what exists, you combine it in a unique personal way, but that won't make sense to most people. So you take it from that unique personal way into the big uh, universal ability that all people can connect with. And so it creates connection with other people and understanding at a global scale. Did I understand correctly? Um, I think that's what ends up happening. Yes, it's not an inter it's not intentional, let's say. When you start putting those thoughts together and start getting into this venting process, that's not the purpose of it. It's not the, the idea like, okay, let's create something that other people can relate to. Because actually when you are feeling overwhelmed and you're feeling uh, suppressed by emotions, the one thing is that you feel alien, alienated, you feel alone, you feel that nobody really understands you. And this is a very common human sentiment. So at that point, the last thing that you're thinking is, oh, I know the other people are suffering li like me. Let's connect with them. So that's not how it goes, right? Because you feel alone. And sometimes you feel that nobody really understands but when you get into this healthy um, process of, of processing your feelings, your anxieties, your emotions, that's what ends up happening. It's a, it's a very pleasant consequence that if you do create an output, people can relate to it, people can see it. Now, I'm not saying, for example, I'm a, I say I'm a pole dancer. I'm not a professional. I am not at the level that I can go into the Olympics tomorrow by far. But what I do makes me uh, feel fine when I achieve that moment of creating that, of, of following that choreography or doing a specific complicated trick on the pole. I feel even though it hurts physically sometimes, it makes you feel validated emotionally and mentally. And that is what creates the connection. That is what resonates with another person. May, may it be the person who's just, who you know, your fellow athlete standing next to you who gives you a high five saying, yeah, you did it. Or somebody who's watching a video saying, oh, wow, that little piece of music, you can see it in your, in your expression. You were really feeling it. So these are the little victories. It may not be Olympic level or competition level beautiful, but it, it resonated with another person. It gave them something enough to make them come to me and say, wow, uh, I felt that. Good job. That was nice. And this happens all the time amongst all of us as a community. And it's really that that's the that's the sharing. And it's just a consequence. And I feel it's beautiful. I agree with you. And so many of the women who are involved within the pole dance community that I interviewed spoke about how great it is. Some said this is the best community of all. They tried all kinds of different communities, even within different dance genres. And it cannot compare to the uh, fact that within the pole dance community so many people are so supportive while in others they could be much more competitive and selfish uh, compared to that to ask you your opinion as someone who is more analytical and scientific minded at least in this aspect what do you believe are elements that allow the emergent property of <laughs> the community of pole dance to be so welcoming so supportive that maybe other communities can learn from in order to integrate and have such um, 
situation that makes each person, whether a beginner or an advanced, feel, like you said, validated, happy, encouraged, and never discouraged from uh, continuing to do it? I think, and this is my interpretation of things, you have to trace back, trace it back to the social perception and the historic perception of pole dancing. Now, it is emerging quite recently as a sport, as a gymnastic, athletic um, discipline, right? So I am not saying maybe, maybe in 20 or 30 years from, from now, even pole dance will become that really competitive and almost toxic environment that other sporting categories have unfortunately uh, been driven towards. I hope it doesn't happen because it's, it's, it is stemming from something that is very nice, very welcoming, very sort of like a shelter. I think you can really trace it back to its um, its history and its sociological perception. Because first thing when somebody hears, when somebody hears about pole dance, unfortunately in the Western world, the great majority of people will think back to uh, lap dancing or stripper clubs or or the late night bars and stuff like that, so which which is true, which is a part of the history of pole dance. But as I say to everybody, to everybody who reacts when I say I do pole dancing, at the end of the day, pole like silks, like aerial hoop or like a trapeze, it's just the instrument. And you can apply any kind of sports or athletic ability or dance style to it. And the more you learn about it, the more you realize it's uh, it's much more complex than what you initially think. Now, this perception is also set inside young women's mind when they approach it. So you approach it with a kind of a little bit of a fear or the sense of um, rebellion, like, wow, I'm trying this, wow, I'm doing it. And uh, men and women alike, right? It's something that you would not expect somebody to be doing in uh, as a hobby in, in, in parallel. So there's this, this fear, this defiance, this kind of energy of feeling a little bit a little bit immortal saying like I'm a pole dancer and the community welcomes you because you know that sometimes people reaching out to this community are coming from a place where they feel insecure, where they're not accepted, where they need something more. Uh, and for women in particular, many have I've spoken to many women who have body image issues, uh, who have confidence issues, who have who are really, really shy, which is something you would not even think you would not associate shyness to pole dancing. But I can really tell you there's so many girls who just who come like walking in looking so small and then you watch them grow and evolve and become like in any other sports. Because once when you learn, you realize how strong you are, you realize how many things you can do and you start building up on that and realizing, OK, this is who I am. This is who I can be. And it's beautiful to see that happen. And this is a sociological a so, yeah, conditioning, we can say, which it's true that it's good that we need to eliminate, but in a, in a little private way, I sort of hope it stays because it creates that kind of family welcoming environment, right? Where you allow people to develop and just become proud of themselves. Thank you for that. I love it. And to ask even more, because you said people will become proud of themselves, not speaking psychologically, just your own journey and experience. How was your journey of you finding your self-confidence, daring to do so many things out of your own initiative rather than being influenced and worrying about the expectations of other people's or the other uh, the opinions of other people because other women could be inspired from that. Maybe they worry, they think, oh, if I do something, my parents will be disappointed or if I do something, my scientific colleagues will be shocked or whatever it is. And therefore, they don't live their life fully. To you, how was that journey? How did you deal with a bit sometimes of extra shyness that you developed 
into confidence and your journey of being proud of who you are? Uh, it's a it's a complex journey, and I'm, I have I cannot say that I have reached that level fully yet because there are good days and there are bad days. There are days when you feel like superwoman, and and days where you feel like oh my god, <laughs> like everything is just, just I, I am not all that right. But it's it's a constant journey, and there is no destination because as you grow and as you live new experiences, you always constantly have to work on that, and it's not easy. And I consider myself lucky because I have always relatively had support from uh, like even scientific colleagues or even if the family, um, my, my parents know that I am a pole dancer, perhaps not all of the aspects of pole dancing. I, I, I am, I'm not somebody who lies, but I tend to filter the truths to shelter the people around me just because I know they, there are some categories of people who might not understand something. So the bottom line of all of this is that at the end of the day, the opinions of other people matter, right? But they should not matter to the point that they should stop me from doing what I want to do and what makes me feel myself. So the other people's opinions matter because the people who care about you want you to be responsible, want you to be safe, want you to live, be the best version of yourself, want you to have a good, uh, strong, safe life. Perfect. That's all that matters to them. If there's something else that in their opinion they don't like, that's not my problem anymore. I am following, I'm living up to their expectations. I'm do, doing, I'm following in those guidelines. And if beyond that, I want to do other things that make me feel me, that's not any of their business anymore. And I stick to that. And sometimes, yes, I do get that raised eyebrow or that sneaky comment from colleagues or some remark. I like it. I am proud of being eccentric. I am proud of not fitting into a box. I am proud of surprising people, like just being there and see, ah, yeah, really? Yeah, well, uh, yeah, this is, this is who I am. Want to know more? We can talk. <laughs> that's it. Thank you for that. That was really inspirational. And I'm wondering whether, I'm curious about this, <laughs> whether being multicultural, because sometimes when you are multicultural, you don't fit in within any culture at the same time. And therefore, you're like, I already don't fit in. So <laughs> might as well be myself. So in a three, like from the three dimensions of being Indian, Italian and living in France. So it's like so many cultures at the same time. Can you speak about that? And would you recommend like to women a kind of pilgrimage where they should go try living somewhere else in order to be free from the um, stimuli that might come from an environment that was oppressive to them? So even though they try to change, it's the habits that will be triggered. But going to a new place, it could be a like a fresh start and a blank slate where they can start and be themselves. Just please share a bit more about that because I am also multicultural and I know I never felt I, felt I fit in any of the cultures and therefore it was already like, well, might as well be fully myself since uh, I'm not going to get any of that validation anyway. Oh my God, you you completely hit the mark. Uh, you're, you're like me, you're a citizen of the world, right? And it's true, it's true. Um, you never fully fit in anymore. You never really feel that you can call one place home fully anymore. There's always this part that when you go to a place, like like right now, I am currently talking to you from Sicily, which is this beautiful island in the south of Italy where I grew up. I did my school, but, but then I left it at some point. I even came in later because I was born in India. So yes, I do call this my home, but there's a part of my heart that is now a little bit in Paris, a little bit in India, and I've lived a bit here and there. It will never be whole. And as you said, yes, this can be a bit sad sometimes, but it's that kind of mm, a melancholic 
uh, pleasant sadness. It's not sadness, it's a realization. So yes, you don't fit in, but you might as well take it and, and run with it, right? And if I recommend this to other people, absolutely, yes. I have this friend who once uh, said, you know, the Erasmus program, which is this thing that sends uh, students in Europe from one country to the other. He said, after he came back, he said, the Erasmus should be something that should be prescribed by a doctor to every student. And this was a sentence that really stuck with me because he could not have said it better. It is such a it's eye-opening, it is mind-opening. And just to come into contact with a different place and a different culture and a different language and talk to people makes you see yourself in the bigger context, which is uh, the, the, the world, right? It makes you feel small, but at the same time, so powerful because there are so many options out there. You don't have to be in your little town in the, with those rules, with those, um, let's say, mindset that has been imposed upon you by generations and generations. No, you can be you. You can be whoever you want to be. Go out there, meet people, learn from them, take the best of everything that you can, you can have and create, again, fabricate your version of yourself. And if you're happy with it, that's all you need, really. I agree 1 billion percent, really. If you are happy with who you are, that's what really matters, because even if you make other people happy or satisfied, but you're dead inside, that doesn't at all matter your own happiness and then the right people will align with you. So it's not really a lonely experience to be authentic. It's actually a magnetic situation where you draw in the right people. So I might just want to add something. I don't want to cut you off. I don't want this to come off as something like toxic positivity because it sounds that this is something that's really great, go explore the world, do it, but it's not easy. And I think you and I can both agree on the fact that at the end of the day, it is hard. It is hard to be in a place where you don't fully fit in, where you don't really completely match the culture of the people who are living around you. It's not easy, but it is something that is useful and it, it builds strength of character and you can really you know, improve on your life with that. But nobody ever said it was easy. So if anybody's ever feeling sad or lonely or down, it is completely normal and it's okay to be in that place. Just don't stay there. Get up and, and put your head up and just talk. Thank you so much, Anvita. It was my privilege and my honor to have you in this podcast, to share part of your soul, your perspective. I wish you all the success, all the satisfaction of your endless curiosity and to keep growing to keep going and thank you for participating thank you so much Aziz once again for this opportunity I am really really humbled and I hope this this reaches somebody who you know as we mentioned before it connects with somebody that's the biggest achievement ever mm -hmm.